Wow. 10 years. That's how long this scrappy little church has been around. And we're celebrating that today and we are reflecting on that today. And it's also the first time since the middle of March that we've just had a regular Sunday morning service. And so much is happening in our world right now. And as I, with the staff, looked at the lectionary passages, I said, I don't know if there'll be something for a birthday service in here. And it turns out there, there was, uh, because you guys won't stop grumbling against me. Right now, I'm just kidding. Uh, but what, what's in this passage this morning that I want us to look at is as we consider the liturgy for the morning and the psalmist reflecting back on this time and this time happening itself, is I want us to talk about how we treat the past and how that can shape and how it does shape our future. That depending on the way that we look at our past, it can bind us or it can set us free. It can make the future to be a repeat of the past, or it can leave the future open for new possibilities of what can happen in our lives as individuals, and if you choose, in the life of this church. So that's what I want us to, to draw out and think about and reflect on this morning as we celebrate uh, 10 years of Christ City Church and all the glory and pain uh, that have existed through those years. Whether, whether, you're, whether this is even like your first or second time being here, or if you've been here the entire time, we all have a past, we all look towards a future, and we all have to live in the present right here in 2020. So this word is for each of us. When I was 12 years old, I had just moved here and we were living in uh, a suburb called Cordova. Any of you Cordova? No Cordova? Live there? Like it? Diane? Yeah. <laughs> Ted went, nodded his head and shook his head. No, don't like it. Um, and I was playing basketball with these kids that I'd become friends with. And uh, one day I mentioned something about where I used to live in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the kids, John, he, in my memory, and my memory might not be right, but he, he was holding the ball and he dropped it and he said, why don't you just go back to Georgia? And I was like, oh, where'd that come from? And he's like, yeah, you talk about how great Georgia was all the time. Why don't you just go back there? And I realized, yeah, I guess I was talking about Georgia all the time. Georgia was on my mind. Uh, sorry. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't leave space and room to really even enjoy this new space that I was in, this new place. Playing basketball with these great kids. I remember each of them, Drew and, and Jonathan and, and John with no H. And um, I wonder if you can relate to ever doing that kind of thing. Like you're sitting here in the present, but you keep talking about, you keep thinking about that ex-boyfriend 
and imagining how good that relationship was, even though it wasn't, because that's why he's your ex. Or that job that you imagined was just perfect, or the school, or the, the teacher, or um, the house you used to live in, or the neighborhood, or whatever it might be in your situation, and you're so stuck remembering something that you used to have was so good, you're completely missing the present. Everybody's doing that right now to some degree because we're in 2020. We're sitting here with masks on and socially distanced and trying to just like sort of be normal and enjoy each other, but we're all thinking about either the past or the future. Man, I wanna go back to this moment or I can't wait to get out of this moment. Neither one of those is the present. And so when I look here at these passages in Exodus, I see the people of God, the Israelites, struggling with a similar thing, not being able to live in this present moment. Why do we do that? I mean, some of the answers are obvious. But before we talk about that and look into some of the verses of the passage, I want to talk about what we sacrifice when we're not able to live in the present. We sacrifice the ability to imagine and even create a new future for ourselves as individuals and collectively. When, when we continue to drag kicking and screaming some idealized version of the past into the present, our future just becomes another iteration of our past. So that's what I titled this sermon, The Future's Past. Why is this so hard for us in our minds and our thoughts and our attention to be present in this moment? Let's, let's look at the the verses here, these first couple of verses, uh, two and three. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So these Israelites, they'd spent approximately 430 years as slaves in one of the most advanced civilizations, maybe the most advanced civilization of the ancient world. And they were basically like the construction equipment for this world. And they're out here in the desert and, and they know some things about this God that, they, that Moses is telling them and showing them that they're following but not nearly as much as what they know about the gods of Egypt, about the life where they used to be, about how things worked in the universe according to that structure and framework. So they knew the gods of their oppressors much better than they knew the God that they were attempting to follow in the present moment. And they were in the middle of a desert. No, no helpful markers, no streets and avenues, no pyramids or catacombs to help locate where they were. They were disoriented physically, mentally, and emotionally, and they were hungry. So really they were hangry. 
because they were angry and hungry at the same time. I just saw a nod from very pregnant Amanda Montgomery. She's like, I feel it. So some of us, all of us, we have trouble living in the present sometimes because the present, like it was for the Israelites, is really painful. You're, you're in the desert. We're, we're, we're moving from, in this passage, from civilization to wilderness. And we can kind of relate to that right now, but I'll just, I'll just bring it home with a real specific example. Like some of us, we, we, um, we, we were thinking back to some decisions that we used to make, um, and we're thinking that those were better. And so we're trying to stick to that. So like, for example, you know, some people, who likes, who likes Huey's? You know, we've been getting a lot of takeout food, Huey's, right? Huey's been around a long time, uh, but the burgers just, I don't know, they just don't do it for me anymore. I'm more of a hot dotty guy, and, and, and I think that Five Guys, yes. Five Guys is right by the, the church office, so I have to say I've been there a few times recently. Um, but but you're, you're in the wilderness of Huey's, right? And, and you could be enjoying Hop Dottie, but, but it's unfamiliar to you, so you, you convince yourself in your mind that the Huey's burger, the, the Madison Avenue burger at Huey's is superior to any of the choices at Hopdot. And so you find yourself in this mindset. It feels like a desert of sorts, a wasteland where you can't orient yourself or your taste buds properly. And then, and then even think about Egypt, right? They said in the first, the first part of this passage that they were in Egypt. And like I said, this was a very advanced civilization and it was predictable. It wasn't enjoyable, but it was predictable. They knew what to expect. Yep, okay, I wake up in the morning, I make myself breakfast before the sun comes out, and then I make bricks, and I avoid trying to get whipped by my Egyptian overseer, and I go home and I argue with my wife, and we put the kids to bed, and we do it again tomorrow. <laughs> I just thought about maybe that some of us might feel like we relate to that um, pattern of life right now. But, but often the present is so painful um, because it's unpredictable. We don't know what will happen next. And so some of us are so accustomed to the, the hurts and the pain of the past that we'll settle for living there instead of the unpredictability of the present. And then they were hungry. They were vulnerable. And, and in the present, we feel those things, right? Now, if, if, any, if there's anybody out here who's had more than one child, then you might be able to relate to saying during or right after your child was born, I am never doing that again. But then time passes and you forget about the pain. The time that you can't forget about the pain is right now. So if you're hungry, you feel it. If you're thirsty, if you're angry, if you're hurt, the place where you feel that the most is where you want to get away from it the most, and that's right now. So we have these intense feelings and desires and needs in the present, not so much in the past. 
It's a more comfortable place to live so often, even if we were slaves. And we don't feel in control in the present. We don't, we actually don't know what's going to happen. When you live in the past, you know what's going to happen. You can combine your memory with your imagination and all types of things to construct the past the way you want it to look and make it a more comfortable place for you to habitate in rather than the present. But without the consciousness of the present, when we do these things, we get away from the painfulness of living in the right here and now, we lose our ability to see any type of new future. The future that we imagine is just the past again. Without this consciousness of what it means to live in the present, we can sometimes act like the Egyptians. We can feel like the Egyptians that the present is so painful, we'd rather die. We'd rather live in our heads in some place, somewhere that already happened in a way that we wish to imagine it in, not in the way it actually occurred. It's much easier to go back to Georgia for me when I was a kid. You know, the devil you do know is always better than the devil you don't, or so we say. Uh, but, you know, everything about Georgia wasn't great. I found out recently that we were not too far in one of the places we lived there from a KKK outpost. I'm glad I didn't live long enough there to have any encounters with that situation. Uh, I got in fights with neighbor kids. I got picked on by older kids on the school bus. I uh, dealt with all kinds of problems that were very similar to the problems that I dealt deal with when I arrived here. Same thing for you. Your ex-boyfriend, he wasn't as good looking as you remember. He didn't bathe as often as you remember. Your childhood wasn't as idealized as you remember it. And that last video game experience you had wasn't as good as you remember it either. That was for you, Micah. I don't know if you play video games, but I did when I was your age. This happens to, this happens to us as a church too, it happens to pastors. It happens when somebody assumes that because of their past experiences in a church or with a pastor, that they're gonna see the same things repeat over and over. And what that does is it keeps them from being able to imagine and enjoy a future that we might not yet be able to understand or control or imagine even. We become self-fulfilling prophets when we live in the past, when we avoid the pain of the present. We spend our lives so convinced the past was better than the moment you're in right now, and so you live in the future's past instead of the present. So um, the Israelites, they're, they're unable to see what's happening in the moment. In the psalm that we read and call in response, they're able to reflect on it and see the provision of God and the, the things that occurred that were good and that shaped them as a people. But in this moment, they weren't able to, to see those things. And 
I can imagine, you know, maybe replaying some of those things in your head afterwards as you reflect. You ever do this? You ever, you have any memories that you go back to, like when you're trying to fall asleep in bed or you have dreams about, and it's this situation that happened in the past and you, you constantly replay like how you could have handled it differently. Anybody ever do that? I still, every once in a while, have a dream about when I waited tables at O'Charlie's when I was 20 years old. And I get in there and like the system is totally different and I've like failed to come into work for 16, 17 years, but I'm still on the schedule somehow. And I'm like trying to solve all these problems. I still think about, you know, occasionally this stray memory pops into my mind of where I didn't handle a situation the way I wanted to. And um, I, I wish that I knew what I knew now then, like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that one. That's what he's always talking about. He's like, do you ever wish you could go back? I wish you could go back with all the knowledge you have right now. I mean, we would have took state for sure. So, so if we don't want to live in the past, how do we, how do we relate to it? How, how do we relate to the things that happened before? Because they will shape us. No matter what the past shapes you, whether you're conscious of it or not. Let's look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 105 that we said together earlier. It says in verse 37, he said, um, about this same time, the same period of Israelites, he led out his people with silver and gold. In all their tribes, there was not one who stumbled. Egypt was glad of their going because they were afraid of them. He spread out a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light in the night season. They asked and quails appeared and he satisfied them with bread from heaven. So this psalmist, he didn't live through these times. He or she didn't live through these times. And because of that, the psalmist had perspective. Perspective about an event after it's passed. It, it, it's kind of like when I limit my kids' technology right now and they throw fits. But one day, they're going to look back on that and say, oh, my parents kept me from becoming a zombie. And just like thinking about uh, the next time I'm going to get to look at a screen. Oh, uh, I got some parents' points right there. I just saw that one happen. Um, we get distance from our feelings. From, from the things that we feel really emotional about. And, and when we do those things and we reflect on the past in the way the psalmist is, we can see the faithfulness and provision of God even through very hard times. Hashtag 2020. But some of you out here are realists and you would say, but the psalmist is sugarcoating things, right? It, like in verse 38, he says, Egypt, Egypt was glad of their going because they were afraid of them. Well, sort of. I mean, all of Pharaoh's armies chased them. Uh, they were afraid um, in, in the initial going, but then this happened. Or in verse 40, he says, they asked and quails appeared. Not, they didn't ask, they complained, right? They, they complained a lot and grumbled. And, and so, you know, you say, well, of course, if you cherry pick like the psalmist does and kind of say it in these certain ways, then, then, of course, you can look back at the past like that. But I'm a realist. I take the past for what it was. No, you don't. None of us do. 
Uh, and in fact, we, we remember the past very differently than how it occurred. Let, let me read something to you about our, how our memory works from current uh, research. So for one uh, thing, uh, according to the American Bar Association, there's been 21 wrongful, wrongful convictions overturned by this, the organization called the Innocence Project in 2011, involving 19 eyewitnesses. More than three quarters of wrongful convictions are later overturned by DNA, DNA evidence that were based on eyewitness reports. So the people who thought they saw somebody do something three quarters of the time didn't. Or like our ability to switch people's names in our heads without realizing it, or changing details of important events in our memories without even noticing. We can come to remember seeing and doing things that never happened. And the sneaky part is that our minds, in our minds these errors look and feel just like other memories. These kinds of memories are being called false memories, catchy name, and they are the subject of considerable study around the world right now. We can mistake imagination for memory, and it can happen quickly and unknowingly. So this Dr. Julia Shaw, she writes books on this, and she studies this. She wrote this book called The Memory of Illusion, and she talks about people who can intentionally alter our memories. And she says... She talks about memory hackers, and she says she's one of them. And that recently she conducted a research for the Psychological uh, Journal of Science. And through interviews, she helped and manipulated her participants to believe that they experienced a highly emotional event that never happened. By using a magic mix of memory, of misinformation, imagination, and repetition, 70% of the people in her group came to create a memory that they committed a crime. And 77, 77% created false memories of other kinds of highly emotional events. So what do we do then? What do we do if our memory is subject to that much change? How do we live in the present and properly think about the past. One thing is what the psalmist did. He had the power of collective memory. So as a church, we're made up of individuals. But when our voices and our stories come together, what we learn in this research about memory is that things get more accurate. They get more true as we share together. This is the insight that the psalmist had of not being an individual experiencing the present at the moment, but being able to reflect on it later within a community of people who had this shared memory. We were not meant to celebrate or grieve life alone. I want to read one more quote about our memory that I think is the second piece to what we do with this living in the present uh, problem. Uh, the same doctor goes on to say the plasticity means the movability, the shapeability, changeability of our memory means that we can think abstractly, we can make associations between things that didn't happen in real life. It allows us to solve puzzles by thinking about many different possible solutions. Without the flexibility in our memory, 
we would be unable to learn and we would always be stuck with old memories. Instead, we are able to rewrite information when better information comes along. We can update our memory banks regularly. We can learn from our mistakes. The psalmist incorporates both of these things. He says and reminds Israel, you were brought out with silver and gold and no one faltered. Yeah, you were starving. You were starving in the desert. You were starving in the midst of social anxiety about a pandemic of raging wildfires, of racial protest and unrest and a scary coming ex, uh, 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 um, I was election, that's the word, right? We were starving in those things, but, but God also led you out with what you needed. And if you remember, you didn't even lose anybody in that moment. And he was actually with you in a cloud of covering. When we reflect on the past, we can see the hand and provision of God. And God has sustained this group, this church. As we, as we close, I want us to think about that and reflect on that. There are people like the Martins who have been here since the beginning. There's people that aren't here like Adam and Jana West who, who helped plant this church. There, there was a, a pastor named Jonathan who pastored this church from a very small gathering and from a place in Minglewood Hall. And he did things that were wrong and that got him removed. But that is part of our story. We've been through ups and downs. We've been through jamborees and Minglewood Halls and through, uh, through Maxine Smith Academy and what seemed like endless setup and teardowns, a sea, a wilderness of endless setup and teardowns in those places. <laughs> we've had to deal with gossip some true some not we've seen people be set free in these 10 years we've seen people be set free from having to think about how they related to god in the past they've they've been set free and many of you are here right now they've been set free from having to say you either believe in a jesus that is a white Republican who enforces all of the American values of a certain subsect of culture to be able to worship God as an unpredictable, loving savior that is interested in a new future. And we're not done. We are going to continue, Christ City, to try to live in this present moment. We are going to take time to reflect on where we've been, on who we have become, and what we are yet to become. And the psalmist ends here too. The psalmist in 105 says in the last verse that we read that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. That they might. In that one word might is the future. In that one word might 
is something bigger than, than what we hear, follow his precepts. This is an idea of people moving from something that was predictable and safe in its abuse and its pain, but it was not God. And so they might, so that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. That was the future for those Israelites, and it's the future for us today, because one day soon we will look back at 2020, and we will have perspective, and we will have the ability to see what God has done in us collectively as a whole, and we will be able to see the faithfulness of God, and in that can well up a future full of gratitude and of uncertainty and unknowing where God can act in our lives in ways that we might start to be able to imagine. Let's pray together. Thank you for this beautiful day you've given us, God. Thank you that you have given us a means and a space to live grounded in the present, to be able to reflect on the past, and to be able to imagine a different future. Give us courage to do that for another 10 years in triumph and glory and grief and sadness and celebration together. Give us the courage and the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.